Welcome back to the Sports Business Take Podcast, your home for sports industry news with a little personality. I'm Paul Hine. He is Zach Creekmore. How you doing today, Zach? I'm doing good, Paul. How you doing, brother? Good, man. I was glad you were spotting me in the gym earlier. I That was <laughs> really appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, it was funny because like I didn't like really need it on that set, but I figured like, why not? <laughs> absolutely. That would have... That would have been a uh, a good SBT outside the pod video. <laughs> we'll have to get one. We'll get one. Yeah, I was actually we'll, we'll thinking a big, like a big bench day or something. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> we definitely have to coordinate that. I was thinking yeah, we should absolutely. do it. Like we've been talking about like the day in the life thing for a while, and we haven't actually gotten around to it. And I like it would have been a perfect day to do it today, except for the fact that I started my morning in Massachusetts and then drove back up here because <laughs> I went home for the weekend. So yeah. like that was the only reason I decided like not to do it today. And then obviously last time it was cause we had a guest on, but um, which by the way, that was one of my favorite episodes that we've done. I think that went off really well. I've gotten a lot of like positive responses on LinkedIn for, from that for sure. So I yeah. think that went really well, but um, yeah, I definitely want to do a day in the life at some point uh, when it's just you and me, I think that'd be funny. Um, and I think I think like non episode content is also good for people. Like the video that um that I put out there of you swimming has like the most videos on our YouTube channel. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though even though the quality came out a little worse for some reason on YouTube than it did in the actual video, I don't know I don't know what YouTube did to it, but um, but hopefully at least. It was funny. You said to me you looked like a Wii character or something, which was hilarious. <laughs> I texted my sister. I was like, I feel like I'm in Wii Sports. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I should have chosen some moment. different music. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> I think it very much um, fits, like, what is my swimming culture? Because for those of you that don't know, I had not – I did not swim in high school. I didn't swim before college. So it was kind of like a right. really – F it, we ball decision, if that makes sense. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Kind of threw myself into something totally new. Um, and that hey, but that's very admirable, though. I mean, got to try new things to grow yourself, right? I mean, that's super oh, admirable. You have to put yourself By in the way, situations and unpredictable situations to really learn and grow. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're already felt, we're already sounding philosophical and we're two minutes in. Um, by the way, hopefully the recording comes out better than this, but Zach looks like a Minecraft character to me right now. He's all pixelated, so hopefully hopefully we get some hopefully Riverside works some magic and we get some good quality. Um speaking of something that could change the quality of an entire league, really, let's talk about our main topic today, employee. So first reactions to hearing that the National Labor Relations Board ruled that Dartmouth men's basketball players should be classified as university employees. Wow, what a huge step, right? We're looking at how it is in terms of collegiate sports. We've been talking about NIL and all of this for so long, and it's like, well, this is really a step towards our student-athletes really getting paid by their schools. And holy yeah. moly, I guess they are, right? And it's yeah, really abandoning that, as we talked about in our, what, how many episodes was it? Was three episodes ago? Where Something like that. Yeah, I think it was three, three or four yeah. episodes ago where we're talking about it for like an hour and a half where really student athletes are no longer student athletes. They are professional athletes. They aren't. Oh, yeah. Right. They, yeah. they are employees. They're no longer that amateur. Right. No. This yeah. And we amateur. talked about how like the NCAA amateurism model is dying. And this is just mm-hmm. like another this is another step in that and another big step at that. Because it also included that they'll be allowed to hold elections to form a union. I mean, what does that even what does it even look like? You know, like who decides who the president of the union is? The players, I guess. I mean, yeah, like, I think I think, I think it allows them to have is, a right. Sorry, I cut you off. You're good. The possibility for like player growth and professionalism is just amazing, right? Yeah, the way seriously. A union works is just so fascinating to me. And in terms of seeing young people being able to collaborate to build something like that and operate something like that, the major concern is on an already super busy schedule, will they be able to focus on that? But like the amazing work that we see SAC and student athlete um, advisory committees do throughout college sports, I think 
looking at a college union and how that might work and the amazing legislature and work they're able to do in addition to how that looks for them going to professional world after collegiate sports, I think is super interesting um, in terms of legislation. We're developing and voting on wages. I've worked in the system before. I can go and do it again, right? I think it makes the power of being a student athlete or a college athlete even stronger when you're looking in a work market post-graduation. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. They're getting more real-world experience. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's that real-world leadership-style experiences where I'm working with my peers to collaborate and make something where we are part of something greater than just ourselves, uh, which is what college sports yeah. already give you, but it's just that extra step. Um, in addition to understanding how a union works in our society, where I think there's a lot, like when you look at businesses like Starbucks, there's a lot of... Um, let's say toxic relationships in terms of the business versus a unionized system uh, and seeing how does the NCAA respond to that? Do player hours change? Do practice hours change? Do the ability of teams and players to practice during certain weeks and certain hours change? Does the relationship between the student athlete and the schools change, right? Especially Definitely. at an Ivy League level where- I mean, I, I think the answer to those questions is yes across right? the board. It has to be like there has to be a change there because, I mean, if you think about it, like they're gonna want to be fairly compensated for the number of hours that they're doing, and coaches aren't gonna coaches and universities aren't gonna want to pay them for as much time as they're currently investing into it, especially at a Division One level. You know where you're having probably a lift, a practice, and a conditioning session all in one day. You know, not to mention if there's a game. So, well, really on game day they don't do all those things, but it's, you know, it's possible to have four of those things or three of those things in one day. So, you know, they are, they are putting in lots of hours every day into their sport. And I'm, I'm positive that a lot of universities aren't going to have the money to be able to pay them for that amount of time. You know, it goes back to, we talked about how like the power five conference schools have the most money a few episodes ago and how they're really going to dominate this conversation going forward, I mean, that is, that's really what's going to happen is the schools with less money, the lower tier division one schools, and, you know, even you trickle on down to division two and division three, they're not going to be able to pay their players like this, but the richer schools will be able to. And then how does that affect things like tuition and hiring and, you know, all those sorts of things. There's so many different um, little side effects that you wouldn't even think about necessarily, but when you start to map it out, it's like, okay, this is not just changing the way the school interacts with the players. It's really changing the whole athletic department itself. You know, the concept of college sports, it changes the whole thing. Um, but it still needs to go through the federal court system, which would take a few years for sure. But, you know, I think the really interesting part to me, and I think the biggest thing to come out of this is that it was found in this ruling that they qualify for the, for two major qualities of employment. One is control and one is compensation. So to explain that, I have a quote um, that states Dartmouth exercises significant control over, control over the basketball players work. The decision read the student athlete handbook in many ways functions as an employee handbook detailing the tasks athletes must complete and the regulations they may not break. So this couldn't this could apply not just to Dartmouth, but to all Division I athletes because all Division I schools and all colleges really have these policy manuals and these um, student athlete handbooks that they require kids to read. And and they're in this ruling saying that that's that's an employee handbook. Essentially that functions as an employee handbook which is super interesting. And I got that quote from um, front office sports, by the way, but I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think that, do you think that's a good argument that these are employee handbooks, these student athlete handbooks? I think it's a valid argument. I think, I don't think it's absolutely correct in terms of we're looking at it in terms of legality since there's a handbook when you sign up to participate in a, whitewater rafting type thing of like, how do you use your things? These are things you should do. These are things you shouldn't do. And I'm paying actively to participate in that event, but I do still need to follow that handbook in terms of how I conduct myself. Um, so how it works out and how it manages, right? You're looking at it in terms of 
well, maybe I'm not really an employee, but more of I'm somebody who's committed to something and I'm following this. But at the same time, these are, and, and looking in business law and societal law, like these are the type of cases that law in terms of these types of handlings are built on for decades to come. And if this goes to yeah. the government, this is something that will affect every single school because D3 schools have that handbook. Every NCAA athlete has a student athlete handbook. We cannot bet. Absolutely. We cannot participate in banned substances, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. These are things that are on a handbook that require you to act in a certain way to participate in NCAA competition, right? Mm -hmm. Those are things where based on if this goes through and because it is a valid argument of it is kind of very similar to an employee handbook, sports, yeah. references <clears throat> and, and mirrors professional life so much, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of businesses define in their employee handbooks what is acceptable behavior in the workplace, what is not acceptable behavior in the workplace, how they want the employee to represent the company and what their company is about. And really, that's that's what these type of student-athlete handbooks are. Really, all of those things I just said, that's the premises of the entire handbook. So I think it is pretty fair to compare them. Yeah. Absolutely. It is, it is a total fair and, and really strong comparison. Um, and I'm really interested to see how it holds up in court and what it looks like. In terms yeah, of those I'd never heard that argument before. And I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, well, it's not your original thought because it's so built into how we are as athletes of you are expected to withhold a standard and you're expected to build into culture and character, right? Even as, yeah, right. Like I'm wearing my St. Joseph's men's soccer hoodie that my mom made for me when I first committed here, right? We have certain standards and expectations, right? We have CAP, right? Character, academics, performance. Those are the pillars of what St. Joseph's academics are. St. Joseph's College yep. Men's Soccer is. And those are things that we are required to follow. And if we don't meet yeah. or uphold those standards, we are going to be then kicked you can't off the work. team. Right? Yeah, then you can't play. Yeah. So I almost said work for the team. I meant play. Right. Well, work or play. It's a 35 hour. It depends week. on how you view it. Right. It, it's a, it's a full-time job. And that's kind of part of the debate here, right? It is a yeah. full-time job. It's a huge commitment. I was filling out, um, masters of business. I'm filling out MBA applications, right? And I'm yeah. filling out my one to Fordham right now. And it's asking me the, the time and hours per week. And I'm putting down my St. Joseph men's soccer thing. I'm like, it was really 30 hours plus per week that I'm committed to this. Yeah. I have two, two hour practices, an hour of prep time before I've got two hour film afterwards. It's a bit of an over-exaggeration, um, but you get what I mean, right? There are huge yeah. commitments aspects to this, even at a D3 level where. Yeah. You're really I was going to say that's that D3, you know, imagine. Job. Yeah. That's D3. Imagine what it's like at D1s where you're doing yeah. lifts practices and conditioning all in one day. I mean, you're going to put 5 a.m. to do lifts. Yeah, you yeah. film at midnight, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's every day, and you're not, you're not getting a lot of sleep, and then you still got to do your <laughs> schoolwork. And, you know, I don't know if people even have at that level time to do things like we're doing here or like like my work with the athletic department. I would, I would doubt it. You know, I honestly – Honestly, think if I was playing a Division One sport, I would not have time to do things like we're doing right now. So, I definitely see how the number of hours that they put into it qualify for them an employment status. Like that makes that makes sense to me. Um, but I want to ask, where do we go from here? Where do, where do you think that this ruling takes us? let's say hypothetically it passes through the court system. It'll probably end up in the Supreme court because usually cases like this do, but let's say they pass it. Where do we go from there? Yeah, absolutely. I think if it passes, I'm really interested to see where it applies and how it applies. If it's at a national level and you're saying this must apply to every single school, um, that becomes really harsh. And I think it redefines how we look at college sports and who's able to provide college sports. Um, and makes that 7% of high school student athletes who are able to participate in college sports even smaller because there's a smaller oh, yeah. of schools who are able to offer it, right? So we're eliminating yeah. opportunity there, um, which is really hard to see and kind of a bit heartbreaking for me as a as a big fan of yeah. offering opportunity. It's such like a pull and uh, like a, a give and take issue. That's the, word, yeah. the phrase I was looking for. Um, because like on the one hand, you know, a lot of people want the players to get paid fairly for what they're bringing into the school and um 
you know, sort of the reputation that they give the school in, in getting kids to go there to watch them play. But at the same time, it's like, man, if we do that, then hundreds, thousands of other kids may not get the opportunity to play at other schools because those schools can't offer it. So it's, it's such like a back and forth issue. And I haven't, I haven't necessarily made up my mind on it yet. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think most people have. I don't think the U.S. government has, right? I don't no, think the NCAA definitely has. Not. We don't know where we how we no, feel where no, we No, the NCAA certainly has bipartisan. It's a split issue, right? Yeah. It's a it's a duality. There's two problems. We want to answer both, but we can't, right? Yeah, I for sure. Looking at it, number one, I really am interested to see how it readdresses scholarships and how college scholarships work when we're actually not paying our student athletes, because the way I think of it, and like, for example, I work as an RA on campus, my RA compensation isn't my paycheck, it's the covering of my room and board, right? Right. So for those student athletes who are on full rides at schools, they are compensated by them being on a full ride, not by them getting paid, they are getting paid, right, in a accommodation, right? So actually, your thoughts there. In Dartmouth's case, um, none of them have scholarships. Ivy League doesn't do academic scholarships, which I didn't know before I read this article, which was super interesting. I can't believe that Ivy League doesn't do academic scholarships, or um, not academic, <laughs> athletic, sorry. I meant to say athletic. Yes. Um, athletic scholarships, Ivy League doesn't do that. That's right. crazy to me because they they say that um, I wrote academic scholarships in the Google doc. That's why I said that <laughs> <laughs> I meant athletic. I did this at six thirty in the morning this morning. Um, anyway, they don't receive athletic scholarships because of the fact that they get a higher chance of admission into these schools because these schools view themselves as so prestigious, which is really interesting to factor into this decision. I wonder if, because they can't get scholarships that the Ivy league schools are more likely to accept decisions like this, where they pay their players because they realize, okay, maybe we're taking advantage of them a little bit by not giving them scholarships. So maybe we, you know, owe them something essentially. Whereas other, other conferences, let's take the sec, for example, maybe don't feel that way because they're giving their players full rides. So it, would be super interesting to see how that would work on a conference to conference basis of, do we feel like we need to compensate our players because they're not getting um, compensation in other areas like scholarship, or do we not need to compensate them because they are getting those additional compensations and those benefits, um, including like merchandise and, um, and things like that. So, I mean, it's a really interesting it's a really interesting issue, and I wonder if I wonder how widespread this becomes. Does it spread like among the Ivy League and then branch out to other leagues, or does this case inspire you know a Big Ten team to go out and and do the same thing and try and their players to try to unionize? Um, I I don't know the answer to that question, but obviously I would think if if I'm a division one athlete and I see a team do this and succeed at doing this, I would think, why would I not want to try to do the same thing to benefit myself? Right. Why would I not take advantage of that opportunity if I, if it was available to me? So, I mean, I think you will see a lot of schools start to follow them um, and it will really lead to the, ultimate destruction of the amateurism model and i don't know in how many years but i'm gonna guess the next decade ish by yeah. the 2030s we'll probably see the amateurism model not be by like the mid 2030s we'll probably see it not be a thing honestly um or yeah. if it is a thing if it is a thing it may only be a thing at lower divisions like division three exactly right the biggest if one is if this passes federal legislation and and how that yeah looks. and two, that's a huge if. what it really develops into um and i think we're on the right track of like i think this really goes into looking at individual schools um and for example schools in the ivy league who don't offer any other compensation to their student athletes right and they're really profiting on their name image and likeness 
for right those student athletes don't get as much advantage as someone else who's at a bigger sec school right for example absolutely right and it's although they're at a quote-unquote yale where they get the best education in the world um right right quote-unquote right they right are also a student athlete who's committing a ton of time and taking a big outgoing on their actual academics to focus on athletics to some extent. Um, yeah. I mean, if anything, they almost deserve to be almost compensated more because they have to work harder academically because they're supposedly at the hardest academic schools in the country. Right. So <laughs> why not compensate them for taking the time out of their in addition to doing their studies to basically work a full-time job for the school, right? That's essentially what it is, um, or at least that's what the argument is. So I thought this, in addition to the union, this is really interesting. They intend to create an Ivy League Players Association. That is really, really cool to me. I, I think it would be super interesting and a great experience for kids to be able to help develop their own player associations and have that as something on their resume that they can say, Hey, not only did I, you know, do well in school, I got, you know, experience outside of the classroom, but I was also an athlete that was on the board of my, um, of my players association and I got a bunch of leadership experience from doing that. I mean, like you're on SAC, for example. Would you say that that's helped you gain leadership experience? Yeah, to some extent, yes, absolutely. Exactly. So this would be the same kind of concept. And they would. I think this is really interesting because it would put the control of their sport and really of their conference in their hands, right? It would give the players a lot more say in what they believe – college sports should be operated like um and i think that's a structure that we haven't seen at all and is completely new and unique but i think it's a structure that could be uniquely beneficial to the players and could see a very interesting boost in the way we view college sports and it it would just change the whole stance everyone has on the topic. I know that's super vague, but I, what I'm saying is them being able to unionize gives them control to make the future of their sport and of their conference, whatever they see fit, essentially. What do you think about that? Like, would you, would you as a division one athlete want to be able to control your own outcomes? I would want to, I didn't, I don't know about you. What do you think? Well, I think no matter what, me me as a person, I want to be in control of the situation, in control of my controllables, right? And if you're exactly. able to grow your controllables, why not? And why not seek that opportunity? And I love where you Exactly. Why the, not take advantage? Right. I love where you went with the ability to build and grow in their professionalism and how that really is going to work out. And I think that's one of the most beautiful concepts of how this works, especially with when we're looking at Ivy League schools, they are our top business schools in the world, right? Cons- considerably, um, looking at UPenn, Yale, Harvard, etc. Those are schools that are considered big business schools. Do we see, like, what what a, what better of a community to help develop these concepts and really apply it in there and see what it looks like? In addition to, yeah, when we're looking for sure. At this, I really see this being an individual school level type of development or individual conference level type of development where there's super niche situations, especially with example, Ivy leagues, there isn't an aspect of scholarships. The schools have a lot of money. The schools make money off of their players, right? So there is all of the right pieces where this should apply to their conference. And that makes sense. Where for example, at yeah, a GNAC, it seems like the perfect right, place us, for it to start, right? The school doesn't make money off of us, right? We are compensated with the level of coaching we get, et cetera. And we're a D three level. So there are different aspects and pieces where this doesn't, shouldn't apply to a GNAC, but it probably should apply to an Ivy league conference, right? Where there is that financial strength and there is that backing and there is that fan interest and all of these other interaction pieces that Mm -hmm. really make it strong. Um, so for sure, conceptually, I really think this is an individual conference level type of decision 
Um, and if it gets past that federal level, I think it goes into that before it spread widespreads. So again, I think we're looking at a before the NCAA said, rules on it. Long, I think we're looking at a two decade long type of change where maybe we shift in this perspective. Um, but it is super interesting to see. And I think there isn't a better place for it possibly to start than at that Ivy League level like a Dartmouth. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's like the perfect ground zero, the perfect breeding ground. I want to go back to something you mentioned. You mentioned the business departments. I had a thought. Do you think that in order for them to create players associations, do you think it would be an interesting opportunity for the business departments to say, hey, we're going to have our students help you create this players association to get them experience as well as help you develop what you want to see for your future. I absolutely. think that would be pretty cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think both business and law, right? We look at consultation yeah. and the development of that and business. I think that's an excellent, excellent, excellent opportunity for students looking to create yeah. professional markets, especially high level students, right? Looking at your MBA, your graduate level students who are really studying hard and really have experience in the field possibly already that can go and say, Hey, I'm going to develop this for my school. And it's going to look really, really special. Um, and this is something yeah, that absolutely part of that changes the culture of college sports for the rest of the, the rest of the two thousands. Right. Yeah. And that's from the university's perspective, that's almost an interesting opportunity for them too to kind of elevate their the reputation of their um, departments and say, hey, look at our business department. We're doing something that nobody else is doing. You should come here to study for us. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. It's, it's, a mutually it's, it's almost like a good marketing tool. Yeah. Um, so one question I had is if eventually athletes – become employees do we have we mentioned it earlier do we have problems with money being taken away from lower divisions like we previously talked about what do you think that's a hard question to answer and i think yeah i don't see i don't see that exactly being a major issue because we aren't saying we're going to prioritize this division over another right but we Yet. are saying that the NCAA money is going to be, I don't, I don't see that being a change now because I think okay. schools make individualistic money um, separate from NCAA funds. Although they do get NCAA funds that being redistributed yeah. doesn't change the fact that we're asking you to pay your athletes yeah. uh, because you are making significantly more. Right. Do I think it might change something if we were asked D two and D three schools to do that? Maybe. Yeah. Right. I'm thinking specifically in my concept of this is a D one really highly um, yeah. managed, expensive school, not expensive school, but highly wealthy, historic school Could type be. of situation, yeah. uh, which I know yeah. is super niche and specific, right? Where we're looking in that type of situation. If it is that more individualistic type of model like I'm talking about, rather than a widespread model, if it's a widespread model, I think we see a massive shift and change in how that distributes and how much the NCAA makes. Um, but I think if we see them do it at that scale, we see the collapse of NCAA sports overall, um, just because it's not financially. Stable. The whole thing. Yeah. Man, going, going that would, a whole dystopia, everything collapses. That would be a damn shame. It would I be wanna, a horrible shame. NAIA takes over. Yeah. What I mean, I mean, I've heard good things about NAIA schools. We've talked about that. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask you a part B to the question that I just asked. If the players get paid like employees does it mean that tuition goes up at the schools to compensate for it yes but no going again splitting into the two situations if we're talking the individualistic level i don't see it going up a ton because we're talking about schools that have that financial backing and really are capable of doing that and contributing that and i think there are donors who would want to contribute to that um yeah for example, like an NYU has Donald Trump, and I don't see why or why why Donald Trump wouldn't say, I'm going to donate this money to NYU to support NYU student-athletes, right? Uh, I know that's yeah. a D3 example, but just, just concept there, right? But if we're talking widespread, I think absolutely, because some schools don't have those wealthy donors that make yeah. huge money and, and aren't able to contribute that or have companies that don't are able to contribute. So I think yeah. looking at – That may be a conference-by-conference conference thing. Work would be interesting, um, but – it, it takes that time, right? And I, I do think if it goes widespread, it would massively change all of the NCAA, all of collegiate sport, um, especially, as you just said, tuition. 
and yeah yeah sponsorship would definitely change too i mean you already think about how much money the um the division one schools make off of sponsors it it is a good amount because they do have that that reputation for being the most exciting amateur sport right um maybe outside of i was gonna say the olympics but i i guess no longer but um yeah i mean i think a good example like for me personally i just went to the umass bc hockey game on friday night and you could see sponsors all over the ice all over the boards even on the physical surface of the ice so does the level of money that they ask from their sponsors take up now that they have to pay their players, I would assume probably, um, even if it's an incremental amount, even if it's a small amount, I would think it changes a little bit um, because the money has to come from somewhere. And I don't see the schools being willing to say, we're just going to give you this money without trying to make it in other areas and essentially losing profit. Um, I don't see that happening, especially with, let's be honest, richer conferences like the Ivy League. Uh, they're not going to want to give up their money. So um, there's going to be like some balancing act. You know what I mean? They're going to try to compensate in some way. So I think that will be really interesting. Um, gut reaction or, or gut feeling, sorry. Gut feeling, does this happen? Does it get through the courts or no? My gut feeling is that no, it doesn't go through a federal court. Um, you don't think so? Super specific and niche and individualized, and there are set standards that a school has to meet to be required to do it. Um, but yeah. I do not see it getting through federal court, and I'm not ent- entirely sure how far it goes or how that legislation process works. Um, but I don't see it going further than this first stage. And I really think this first stage is it entering it as an idea and a possibility or maybe we see it reintroduced with a different type of criterion and situation um, further down the line. Uh, but gut feeling, maybe. No, and it, it should be super interesting. I mean, I think if they were denied, I feel like they would certainly appeal and that appeal process could even go all the way up to the Supreme court. I feel like this is one of those cases where it's so monumental and shifting the landscape of an organization where the Supreme court would be interested in taking a look at it. Um, so personally, I think it'll at least get to that level. What happens from there? I'm not sure. Um, my gut feeling says if they pass it, then they're going to have to make a standard, not just for Dartmouth, but for all division one athletes. Um, or like they can't even make it just Ivy League. They're going to have to make it for all Division One because if they make it for just Ivy League, then you're going to have all the other conferences probably sue for the same thing over and over and over again. So it's just going to be a repetitive process. So they have to make it for all Division One schools. So that'll be super interesting to see how that develops out. Um over the next couple of years. Speaking of something that has been newly developing, do you want to introduce what the NBA unveiled at their tech conference this week? Absolutely. Um, if you weren't watching the NBA tech conference, but also the, what was it? The all-star weekend this past week. It was the all-star weekend. Yep. You probably wouldn't have seen it. And if you haven't seen it on social media, um, I apologize because I know I know I did and I thought it was super cool. Uh, but the NBA unveiled NBA AI, right? So it's a new AI tool. Um, but essentially, it allows the viewer to customize their experience, whatever they want it to be, right? It transforms live games to any theme, as well as it's able to pull up basketball-related content, right? Um, Adam Silver used the Hoosiers as an example of basketball content and transformed a Pacers game into a Spider-Man comic theme unveiling the tool right what do we think i think this is a really really fun and cool concept i this changes how we view if it becomes widespread that's a big if but if it does changes how we view sports forever you can customize the sport that you want to watch to be in whatever universe or theme you would like it to be personally 
I know we were talking off air. I told you I thought it would be really funny to watch a basketball game that was in a South Park theme or a Family Guy theme. I think that would be hilarious. And it would it would just become like watching normal television at that point, which I don't know. I don't know if that takes the beauty out of the sport to me, but I think it certainly makes the viewing experience very different and very unique compared to anything we've ever seen before. Absolutely. And I think beyond just the opportunity when you're just watching a game, the opportunity for clips, for social media usage, for interacting with different audiences and different Absolutely. Teams, people, for collaborations, right? Holy moly. Yeah, boom, that too. Right? Thinking about a cool collaboration we saw this year. I really liked the One Piece and the LA Rams collaboration. I'm a big, I'm a bit of an anime guy. I like One Piece a lot. I, I watch it. I really enjoy it. But could you see this tool used to take that game and put it into the One Piece universe, right? And Probably. Characters I mean, he and asked it. To, Maybe it's on yeah. battleships, right? That would be so super sick, right? But that's something that we see this adapted to other leagues and collaboration and partnerships where this creates really interesting opportunities for the NBA. And I'm kind of yeah. interested to see how it kind of works for their, whether patenting or trademark or anything like that. Yeah, true. Other leagues can really quickly adapt and apply to themselves. Um, true. I'm super interested to see. Or how do individual teams use this for social media, right? Um, for example, yeah. again, going with the One Piece example, Borussia Dortmund, one of their players, um, I believe it's Julian Brandt, um, uses – he's a big One Piece guy. His celebration is a One Piece theme celebration, right? So following that, they use a lot of One Piece branding in that advertisement, Right. Um, so they, you, they quote the character law, right. All the time in posts they make on social media, referencing this player, right? So how does Borussia Dortmund go and quickly take this tool and say, make Julian Brandt the character law, right? Oh, wow. That's really quick. That's a really quick transition where it's something where they're able to yeah. and make something really And easy. the AI could probably do that in a, in a heartbeat. Immediately. No problem. If it's able to take a Pacers game and second for second, make it like it's Spider-Man. I don't see why yeah. it couldn't do anything. Yeah, it put it in right. a cartoon the format. The multiverse of our sports just boomed into a whole different category. Yeah. yeah. For those of you who haven't seen what it actually looks like, I would highly recommend going on Twitter or whatever social media you have and looking up, um, you know, MBAI is what it's called, MBAI. And you'll see the video of Adam Silver and Victor Wembanyama like, introducing it. And you'll be able to get a visual for what it actually looks like because i know i like to be able to understand what it actually was it really helped for me to see that video and have the visual and it really made it kind of a cool uh, a cool tool and i think one of the other things that was interesting was um going back to not just the animation part but the content part basically it can pull out any basketball related content so like victor Wembanyama when he was up there asked it to play Hoosiers in French and it did it like immediately, which I thought was really cool. Um, so it has a good database of basically everything related to basketball, which is kind of awesome. Um, and it really makes sense to have that. The NBA is doing this mostly on their app. The tool is primarily for use with the NBA app and it makes it a really big incentive for customers to download or sign up for the app because they get this extra experience that they will not have otherwise um, or that it would be harder to obtain otherwise. So, I mean, I think it's a, it could be a really smart marketing tool to say, Hey, this is a new way to view the game. Try it out, like explore, see what happens. And it's something that, that they don't even necessarily have to, closely monitor because it's artificial intelligence you know what i mean they can just kind of let it do its thing which is really cool and they'll let it grow their audience for them (laughs) yeah absolutely i think there are so many creative ideas and and collaborations and having such a strong database built is what's so important to an important usage of this tool you made a great point with it incentivizing the relationship with their app which is going to be a huge growth for clicks, for interaction with NBA, NBA teams, and overall probably the profit of their franchise is growing overall. Um, the concept of letting AI do its own thing scares me a little bit because I've True. seen a few two movies. <laughs> True. But, right? Asia right? Balls, Ron. <laughs> right? You see, 
AI, and there's amazing potential in this. And again, it's the NBA doing a great job innovating and using its resources to make their league and their fan interactions super unique, right? Yeah. And, they and this is why this, this is why AI is the future of sports, right? Exactly. Applications like this. Exactly. This is this is why. Right. This is why AI becomes the future of sports very quickly, becomes the future of business, the future of our society very quickly. And what it scares me is the person who in the past was able to make this type of content and go and transfer and translate. Now, maybe they're out of a job. Right. Oh, and that's crap. what's sad. That would how be can me. they reclassify and make that would literally be me, wouldn't it? <laughs> to some extent, a little bit. Right. It, it <laughs> yeah, would be that much. photographer, that media creator. How can they make themselves useful and re-identify themselves um, where they're now able to really powerfully use AI to empower their position and they aren't. just Yeah. Do they use. become AI operators? I mean, I already use AI in some of the stuff that I do. I like I don't know if I've told you, but like I use AI in, in some of the stuff for this podcast, like the way you know how our episodes, it's always it focuses on the speaker mm. versus just like having you and me separated. That's through AI. So, like, I think maybe what you're describing is people in the media will, in media roles, will just have to kind of reorient themselves to become AI experts as opposed to media experts um, in that hypothetical. Where, I mean, I would like to not be out of a job. That would be awesome. But, you know, if I need to learn new skills, it, it's got to happen. So, like, I think, um, I think you'll see teams adapt as we go, but I don't. I don't think really I don't think AI can fully cut out the human element of of taking a video, putting the clip together and coming up with a caption that will resonate with other humans because it's not human, right? Um and that's that's really that's a good part of the social media process is trying to resonate with other human beings. So I'm hoping that um, I'm hoping that your point does not happen <laughs> because I would well, like I to have a good career. Out of a job too, a little <laughs> bit. Um, and, and you're right. Yeah. It's such a powerful statement there, right? It is what human interaction is. That's what we look for. And I was thinking, and this weekend, cause I I'm going back down to the U to Tampa for the USL Academy cup um, in three or four weeks now. And I'm super excited for it. But one thing that I really wanted to do was pr pursue doing photography on film. Right. Yeah. Because it creates such unique activity and because it creates that retro feel that is so um, nostalgic and nostalgia is what's really big right now. How can do you have you a camera, that? by the way? I do. Sorry, I know. Uh, OK, not, not on campus, but I have a camera back home that I use for all my ACC stuff. OK, uh, what kind is I'll it? I'll send you my website later. You can you can see it. It's super cool. Maybe we can share it on the social medias. Um, oh yeah, for sure. I, I built I built my own website for fashion, for for resume purposes, and it's I did a good job. And it has okay. All stuff so on you it. have like a media website? Um, media slash personal. This is what Zach Creekmore is website. <laughs> Man, that <laughs> might that be smart sense. for me to do. I've been yeah. I've been wanting to make like a media Instagram account. You know how like Laurel and Chris both yeah, have like absolutely. media Instagram accounts. They're they're like the main media people at St. Joe's for those who don't know. Um. I want to make one of those because I'm starting to do that type of stuff for the athletic department. I've made like four or five videos for basketball. Now, obviously I made the one for swim. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think I need to start doing some stuff like that, but I think it'd be interesting to, to compare cameras and stuff. That'd be cool. Um, <laughs> I just got, I'm actually really excited. I just got a gimbal for my birthday. Have you heard of those? Yep. Yeah. So I just got one for my birthday. So, I don't know if I'm going to try it out tomorrow. I'm working both um, basketball playoff games. I don't I don't know if I'm going to try it out tomorrow because, like, the playoff game, I need to get good video, and I don't know if I want to screw around with a, with using a gimbal and getting bad video when, you know, I need right. to get good video of the playoff game. But um, I think it will be a really interesting tool to help me going forward. Wow, we're yeah. way off topic of where we started from. <laughs> little little um, rabbit trail, but that's no problem with that. Yeah, huge rabbit trail, but it's okay. Um, going back to going back to MBAI, sorry, what? It's just such a powerful tool, right? And looking at yeah. even for those people who like us have worked in media, um, and are working in media, right? It's another way that you can advertise yourself too, right? For sure, yeah. If you have say, those AI skills, tool, and I can really make your organization use this tool to the most and highest level of efficiency. 
right? Which is Absolutely. the step that you want to take as a professional. Um, so, wow, what a powerful step. What an innovative moment for the NBA. What an innovative moment for sports overall. Um, and I'm really Seriously, curious to yeah. see how other leagues and other sports adapt to this and adapt to using yeah. this to interact with new audiences who might not watch their sport originally or otherwise, right? Yeah. Maybe that one piece audience doesn't interact with a sport like tennis. And maybe tennis has an opportunity now to go and interact with this audience in a totally different and really unique way. Um, yeah, that would be that would be cool. I bet you could even do like player POVs and that type of thing with this technology. I think yeah. I think that would be an interesting thing that changes the view experience where maybe it's even in coordination with like a, a VR headset where you put yourself in the shoes of the player. I know I read in this same article um, from, I believe it was Sportico that Adam Silver had been talking to Apple about trying to get involved with the Apple vision pros. So I wonder if that's like some kind of application that they can, that they can use. I, I really think you summed it up the best way with one word is innovative. That's, that's probably the only that's not the only thing you can say about this, but that's the main point is this is such an innovative product and it could really change the way we view sports as a whole, which is, which is why it's such a big story, but it's flying under the radar compared to a lot of other sports stories. Um, I also like personally, I like the cleverness of the name MB dash AI. I kind of like that. I don't know. Very clever. Um, yes. Yeah. It's super clever. Somebody in the marketing <laughs> department got a race for that. Um, so if uh, if we're all done, I'm going to move on to our sports quote of the weeks. Um, so I'm sticking with the NBA. This quote is from Adam Silver. He said about the All-Star game this past weekend, and to the Eastern Conference All-Stars, you scored the most points, Silver said flatly. Well, <laughs> congratulations. Man, I, I can't lie. I kind of laughed when I saw that. <laughs> That was pretty funny. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Just like perfect. Just yeah. So this past All Star game was the highest scoring ever in the history of the NBA's All Star game, and a lot of people blame it on the fact that a lot of the players don't necessarily play as hard a defense as they would in other games because they don't want to get hurt for the rest of the regular season because there's money on the line for their contracts and that kind of thing, which from a player perspective, understandable. But it is also true that without the defense, without, you know, all-star caliber defensive players actually trying to play all-star caliber defense, the product isn't going to be the same. It's it's right. just not going to be the same. And the, like the whole attraction of All Star Games is to see the best against the best, right? Um, and when they're not playing defense, it's like, am I really seeing the best against the best, or am I just seeing a bunch of really good offensive players just doing their thing, right? Um, and it's kind of hard to distinguish one from the other when <laughs> when you're watching that. So. I thought that was pretty funny. And I also thought, I wonder if um, having seen this and you can tell like he may not have a great opinion of the style of the game, of the all-star game at the moment. I wonder if he's going to try to do anything to change it. What did you think about this quote? Absolutely. I think it's just, it's a really clear statement about how people feel about the all-star weekend overall. Um, whether it be really disappointment in the dunk contest and how competitive that has been over the last couple of years. Um, and you hear Stephen A. Smith comment on it every year, right? Where it's like, well, we're asking, I forget his name, to come and play from the G League. He much, I, I've heard a rumor that he doesn't actually, the guy who won the won the dunk contest doesn't actually have an NBA contract, which he might Mac McClung? Are you talking Mac about Mac McClung? Right? He was a G, G League type player and he yep. got, gets pulled up for that. And it's like, well, if you're asking people like that, why aren't our NBA elites willing to compete in that? And it's because they're worried about injury or it's because it's become a farce, right? And to an extent, yeah. the NBA All-Star game, even with this statement from Adam Silver, it feels a bit like a farce, right? People yeah. take it as a joke. It's not entertaining. It's not competitive. It doesn't feel competitive. It just looks like your favorite players going out there and having a fun pickup game that they really don't, and part of my friends, give a shit about, 
right? They don't care about it at all. Yeah. So it's kind of that. It kind of seems that way that too. Like, in it? And they, they're not treating it like this is the game that is the championship. This is the game that yeah. my franchise depends on, right? That's not the reaction or the emotion behind it. And it misses that emotional conviction, right? And I yeah. think Adam Silver. Do you think the All Star game becomes less special at that year? point? What was that? Do you think the All Star game becomes less special at that point? Like, Absolutely, it's not as right? big of a deal of a product. It's not a special product. It's not special media. It's not you. It, it loses a vivre. It loses passion, right? Which is what drives sports is passion. It's emotion, yeah. right? And that's what we talk about so much. And it's like, well, when it's absent of that, as much as it's fun and it's cool to watch people having a good time and it's entertaining and it's hysterical, especially with the celebrity all-star game, Right, I think that's True. awesome and, and fun. Right, the competitive edge and the emotional vibra isn't there. Right, so we don't no. have that life to the game that is present in most other games throughout the season. True. Right, and it's hard because yeah. the NBA has such a long season, but there isn't that competitive edge as you would see in a playoff game, which is really what you want from an All Star game. You want to see all of your best players coming together to collaborate and work and see what's the best possible product can be by the best possible players in the world, and that's not what we see. Uh, yeah, I wonder if incentivizing bad. it... Sorry, I cut you off. No, you're good. I know I've interrupted you a lot, but it's just because I can't see your facial expressions because you still look like a Minecraft character to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. And I, my computer audio is weird because my volume feels so low today. So hearing, I just keep talking, and usually I do a really good job of, of uh, stopping my sentences when you're about to speak. Um, but... I think you're absolutely right. Incentivizing it a bit more from Adam Silver and the league's perspective would probably do really well. Um, or maybe they make it where if you are going to be an all-star, you have to sign a contract. And then the question is, will players even be all-stars? Uh, probably yeah. not. Right? So I Man, think it's that's... a really difficult situation for the NBA to manage. Yeah, it's hard to change the structure of it without changing the entire product. But, I mean, at some point, and I think we're already starting to see it happen. Fans are going to lose interest and it's not going to matter. And like the recognition won't be the same, right? Like we, we, when we view guys that are up for the hall of fame in most sports, a, a thing that is used in their candidacy is all-star appearances in many sports, right? Including the NBA. And it's like, does the all-star game really matter that much? If the defense isn't being played, like what does that say about you as a player? I don't, I don't know anymore, right? Mm. Um, and I think if this type of play continues in the All-Star game, this is a personal take, but if that type of play continues, we may see that type of reaction in in Hall of Fame voting 10, 15 years down the line. Definitely possibly. I think – I don't think there's an issue with the way um, – I don't think the decision-making of who – makes an all-star game is a farce in any way or form. I think the actual no, that's, game... No, I agree. That's not I, what so I was I trying to say. I think it could still be used for that Hall of Fame debate or argument because they're clearly great players and clearly the top best players in the league and are making that right. point. Um, it's just the product in the all-star game isn't there. So does the relationship and societal understanding of it change a little bit of what is an all-star game? Is it something we Yeah, yeah that's really what it is, is what does an all-star game mean compared to what it used to mean? That's really what I meant. Absolutely. And I think even with the NH, NHL and the NFL all-star games, I think it's it's there to that extent a little bit too. Um, I don't see it having the same yeah. emotional conviction as the Super Bowl did this past week, week and a half, right? Yeah, most watched telecast feel in that from watching history. or watching clips. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't think a lot of people really do get excited for – the pro bowl because it's flag, right? It's not as competitive as it would be if it was tackle. But I also understand from the player perspective, why you wouldn't want to do a full tackle all-star game. I get it. Um, so it's, it's kind of an interesting, we were talking about like a, a give and take issue earlier um, in call in the college sports segment. We did, this is kind of another one of those really interesting give and take issues where, um, you, you know, changing it, can have negative impacts, but can also have positive impacts. And it's where do you fall on the line of, of what do you want to do? Um, so I think it'll be interesting if he's taking this, if Adam Silver, NBA commissioner is taking this attitude towards it, 
I wonder what happens with the All-Star game if we see anything change um, and how that and how that works out moving forward. Why don't we Absolutely. why don't we go on to your sports quote of the week? Yeah, definitely. Um, my sports quote of the week is from Roy Hodgson, um, who, if you don't know who Mr. Hodgson or, or who Roy is, um, he's a one of the greatest English managers of all time. Um, and has been managing the Premier League for the last year and a half at the age of 76 after retiring. He came out of retirement to manage Crystal Palace last season after the sacking of Patrick Vieira. Um, He recently stepped down from his position and said this, I understand given recent circumstances, it may be prudent at this time for the club to plan ahead. And therefore, I had taken the decision to step aside so that the club can bring forward their plans for a new manager as intended for this summer. Um, quote from Roy Hodgson, right? One, just wanted to say all respects to Roy. And I always, Roy Hodgson, I always, I always bring soccer into this in some way or form because it's just how I am as a person. Uh, he is one of the greatest English managers of all time. And he has done amazing work in revitalizing Crystal Palace and bringing them out of um, what was a really bad situation two seasons ago. Um, and I'm really excited to see where this step goes. Um, and I really hope that from him making the decision it is an amicable split for both club and him as a manager. Um, and I don't want to see him receive any disrespect from the fans or anything like that, just because that's not what he deserves to receive. He is a legendary manager. He is like one of those guys where he didn't revolutionize football, but he was a no nonsense. I get the job done and I come in and I, I make stuff happen type of guy, um, which is exactly yeah. What I what I respect in a manager type of decision. Yeah, you know what's funny? Whenever you say Crystal Palace, I can literally only hear the announcers from Ted Lasso saying Crystal Palace because I just started rewatching that show. <laughs> <laughs> and you told me you told me um, before the show started that that was filmed in their stadium. I had no idea. That's pretty cool. Yes. Um, so Ted Lasso. But anyway, it was filmed in Selhurst Park, Crystal Palace Stadium. Vamos. Yeah, I I had no idea. That's cool. Um, anyway, what I, what I took out of this quote is I feel like he's kind of sacrificing for the betterment of the team is, is what it Mm. seems like. Um, and I think on a smaller scale, a lot of people can do that in their companies and it doesn't have to be necessarily sacrificing their job. Like that's not what I'm saying, but I mean, on a smaller scale of maybe putting in a few extra hours to make a better product, right. Or learning a new skill to be able to help in a different department. Um, I think taking having an organizational culture where you encourage that sacrifice will lead to better overall production and honestly better overall team chemistry because you have a bunch of hardworking, motivated, driven people who are going to do whatever it takes to to give the customers the best product. I think that's really applicable for a sports franchise. Absolutely well said. And I think not only does it speak to Mr. Hodgson's character here, it speaks to the power of who you want to be as an employee, who you want to be as someone operating at a top level in sports and sports business, right? We want to be those people who, one, know when it's time to step away and know when I'm okay with moving on from this. I don't need to hold on to this. I, I don't need to be greedy. I don't need to be selfish. I need to be know when it's the right time. And two is willing to put in that extra work and extra hours. And for example, come out of retirement to save a football club from relegation, like Roy Hodgson did, right? And really sacrifice that because you love what you do, right? And that's what working yeah. in sports is about. We've talked about it for months on end, so I won't I won't beat it like a dead nail. Um, yeah, we don't have to beat a dead horse. <laughs> exactly, right? It, it is just such a powerful statement of emotion. And, and just reading that statement and know, knowing his relationship with Crystal Palace, it really warms my heart. Um, that he has the guts um, and the passion and the vivra and for a lack of better words, cojones to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, um, that definitely takes a lot of courage to do something like that and certainly a good amount of selflessness. So very admirable. All right, man. I think, uh, I think we got a good quality episode today. Um, even though we had some struggles with interrupting each other, hopefully uh, one of <laughs> hopefully the Wi-Fi here will allow us to have better quality next time. Um, 
but I, I think previous to this, we had been doing a good job going back and forth. It was just, it was not our fault tonight if we had any issues. So hopefully it didn't come out too bad. Um, as always, thank you guys for watching. Hope you enjoyed it. And, um, let us know actually. Okay. I have a semi unserious question for the viewers. I need your opinion on whether I need to shave this or grow it out. Cause I don't know what to do. And I have different people telling me different things. So need some opinions, folks. Um, I don't really know what to do with myself right now. Um, so that's totally unserious note um, to end the podcast on. So thank you guys for watching. Uh, let us know what you think about the segments we did today, whether you think the decision about Dartmouth men's basketball will evolve into anything serious or whether you think it'll go by the wayside and and what you think of the new MBA MBAI technology. Are you excited for it? Or are you not? I want to I want to hear from you guys. We want to hear from you guys. So um, yeah, give us some give us some of your opinions. We give you a lot of ours. So be nice to hear from you guys. All right, uh, have a good week, folks.